Miller. On this week's episode of Tiger Tarf Talk, we host Mr. William Briarly of the Wimbledon Championship Courts in London, England. We are so lucky to have Mr. Briarly on today to discuss his career as the senior groundsman at Wimbledon. He explains to us the different aspects of his jobs, the different ideas behind of maintaining these specific beautiful championship courts at the number one tournament a tennis match can be played on. We had a great experience learning about how cultural practices differ from soccer to tennis courts from England to America. It was just a great overall experience for our students to really learn new different aspects of the industry that we were not used to hearing about in our classroom. We learned about the different research that occurred for our different events, learning about how perennial ryegrass became the main turf grass species used on the courts of Wimbledon. Even we learned about how they maintained the turf grass between the championship at Wimbledon and the 2012 Olympics three weeks later to ensure that the, the grass looked pristine from one championship to the other. And it was just such a great opportunity for our students. We really enjoyed our time with Mr. Briarly. We cannot thank you enough for coming on uh, and for taking the time during the late hours of the night over there in England. Uh, we just really want to thank you so much. We hope you guys enjoy this episode of Tiger Turf Talk. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the 10th episode of Tiger Turf Talk. We have a special guest today. It is Mr. Will Briarly, the senior groundsman at Wimbledon in London, England. How are you doing today, sir? Yeah, very well, thank you. I mean, it's today for you, but it's um, 8 o'clock at night here for us. Oh, so my, my day is wrapped up pretty much. The kids have gone to bed. Um, so, yeah. We really appreciate you taking the time and That's doing it so right. Late. Um, so you've been at Wimbledon for 15 years now as the senior groundsman. Um, there's a journey behind that. Could you sort of give us an idea of what your trip was through, uh, the turf grass industry, uh, over there and for such a long uh, time at Wimbledon, was there time before that, uh, and school with all that? Yeah. So I've actually been at Wimbledon, as you say, for 15 years, I've only been senior groundsman for eight of those, um, but my journey at Wimbledon started back in 2005. I did a work placement as a seasonal member of staff um, and timings just fell right. I managed to take a full-time job in 2006 as somebody was retiring um, and things have just gone from strength to strength there. Uh, sort of did, did six years on the grounds team um, and then our old boss, um, was due for retirement and we had a reshuffle in the department and uh, yeah that's when I took the opportunity thankfully got the promotion to senior groundsman of the championship courts um, so yeah uh, that's kind of my journey at Wimbledon but as you say yeah there was school before that um, so I studied for two years at Myerscore College in Preston which is in the north of England um, and I studied to get my national diploma in sports turf there uh, and in the in the break between the two years there, I'd spent sort of four to five months at the Northern Lawn Tennis Club in Manchester, um, where the head groundsman there had actually previously worked at Wimbledon. So 
that was my first insight really into tennis. Um, and he certainly started the bug off that sort of sent me this way. So yeah, it's been good. So when did you really learn about the turf grass industry and discover what it truly was? Um, I think I've always loved sport, um, mainly football or soccer for you guys. Um, season ticket holder at my local team for a couple of seasons. And you'd always see the ground staff out, divot in the pitch or watering the pitch at halftime, things like that. Uh, I always thought I'd be quite cool, um, but I didn't really know how I'd get into that. Uh, when I left school, I actually wanted to be a maths teacher. So absolutely complete career change after starting college and not really getting on with it. Um, I got a job doing house removals and just love working outdoors. Um, and I figured I love sport, I love working outdoors, maybe there is something in that. Um, and I looked around and found a college course that was suited to that. And as I say, at Myersco, which is um, a large land-based college over here. Um, yeah, they had the, the two-year course for doing the national diploma. So, yeah, that was where I, I kind of, I've always loved sport. So it was just, how do I get into sport? Um, as I say, I love football. That's where I would have, back then, that's where I wanted to go. If I could have, I would have gone to, to Liverpool and been been there. Um, but yeah, it, it ended up turning to tennis and yeah, definitely no regrets in that sense. But it's been, been an absolute honour to work at Wimbledon. Um, and yeah, the passion's just grown year on year from there. So as a senior groundsman, what does your job sort of entail? And you said the championship courts, uh, sort of with the setup, is there different areas like with uh, different types of courts, whether it's championship courts, uh, membership courts, sort of, could you explain to the kids what that is set up for you being in your position? Yeah, sure. So as I said, I'm senior groundsman for the championship courts. I have um, an equivalent, um, Leighton, who is, senior groundsman for the practice courts. And we both report directly into Neil Stubbley, who's the head of courts and horticulture. Um, and essentially my job is to manage the 18 championship courts, organize the day-to-day -day works, organize the team doing those. Um, each of myself and Leighton, we both have six full-time members of staff that we oversee daily. And then, um, as we were saying before that, we get the seasonals that come from April through to October. Um, and for the majority of the time, they're based at the main um, sort of grounds facility, which is on the championship side. And it's a case of us divvying up the bodies there between us for whatever jobs needed. Um, as you can imagine, we're, we're fairly more heavy. Um, spraying marking out things like that we um yeah and we just you know take care of as i said the 18 championship courts and then all the surrounds and grounds things you may know as like hemman hill um and all of that so yeah that's our day-to-day -day work um what is the perfect you're taking care of uh specifically on your championship courts 
So we're 100% perennial ryegrass. Uh, so we're using a dwarf rye, um, which is quite handy for us because we we're not a um, golf green height, but we're we're fairly low. We go down to eight mil in the summer uh, for playing season, and it doesn't get any longer than 15 mil in the winter. We aim for a 13 mil winter height. Um, so yeah. Back just before I started, there was a blend. Um, we had bent grasses and some fescues, but with work uh, with the Sports, Re Sports Turf Research Institute, we have the best grasses for tennis trial going on continuously. And it was just found that perennial ryegrass, as it was evolving, uh, and you were getting better grass sward density, um, it's just better for total playability, especially with drought resistance, shade resistance, um, so yeah, the the decision was made in the early 2000s to change to a total perennial ryegrass. Um, and while we've changed cultivars in that throughout the years, um, I think I want to say 2002, 2001, 2002 was when we changed to 100% perennial rye. Now with the bunch type growth, how do you deal with that with footing? And is it just heavily seeded or is it, what is, what is it that you're doing to maintain that level playing field and really that compaction for a ball bounce and whatnot compared to say like our athletic fields, we're not going to have a tennis ball bouncing off of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, we do seed quite heavily, um, especially in renovation. We're going up sort of 80 grams per square meter. Um, there's probably going to be some some confusion in conversion rates here for you guys, but um, yeah, we're we're seeding fairly heavily, and then in the spring we'll do uh, we'll thin out a little bit of any sort of turf that's died off over winter, any bad growth that we've had, and then we'll oversaw again in the spring. And the aim is to to get a decent sward density that um, you know, as you look at it, it's green everywhere, but there is enough space in there for a bit of airflow around the plant uh so we're looking looking in the 90 sort of percents for grass wood density um and then as to hardness um we're 21 percent clay soil so more akin to cricket really than I, I assume anything you guys are more used to with your um athletics fields or golf Andy greens soils, things yeah. like that yeah of course um so with that we we just manage the irrigation more especially around championships um it's all a fine balance of keeping the plant alive but also keeping the playability we'll start covering the courts um in the lead up to the championships which will just harden them off a bit and surprisingly for a lot of people we don't actually do a lot of rolling um, so we'll do a sort of an early spring roll to roll out any frost heave from the winter. And then they might only get sort of two to three more rolls pre-championships then. Um, so, yeah, I think that surprised a lot of people because they expect us to be rolling quite a bit for the, for the ball bounce. But we, we don't because we can gain that bounce, um, as I say, through irrigation control um, and drying down the courts that way. Um, you were saying that managing with irrigation uh, leading up to the championship. 
how do you deal with the weather and sort of like with ryegrass, it's much more susceptible to disease and all that. What is it that you're putting out, um, whether it's fungicide applications, what, what is, how are you dealing with the, the humidity and the rain and all the different attributes from the weather in England through all of this time, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's one of the funny, funny quirks, you know, we're a small island, but our, um, weather patterns just aren't set we can have sort of the summers that we had uh last year which you know we were registering sort of 40 degrees um on center court itself but um you know at that point ryegrass has gone well past its wilting point um so it's just as we say it's a case of managing that um for disease we very rarely touch wood um end up with much disease fusarium patch is our our one that tends to come in um and especially when we're covering and creating more humidity uh so we will do a pre-championships fungicide spray there um but we're trying to move away from fungicides there are a lot coming off the market uh so we're working more especially now this time of year in winter with winter turf hardening programs it's all about getting your micronutrients down, your magnesiums, your manganese, um, things like that, just to try it, you know, decent doses of iron to try and harden up those cell walls. Um, and through the summer, we're doing the same thing. So we're, we're spraying a plant growth regulator mixed with an iron and a fertilizer. Um, and, you know, with the iron, you're getting a nice green, but you're also strengthening that plant up ready for, you know, three weeks everybody thinks the championships is two weeks but you're really looking at three weeks for the practice week beforehand as well where um the courts are just under so much stress uh, they just need to be as strong as possible going into that period um sorry uh, um <laughs> With all the air, with all the surface area and everything that you're taking care of, how much, how much acreage are you looking at when it comes to you specifically in the championship courts and overall, whether it's practice courts or landscaping? Because I've seen some unbelievable. I mean, the side of the stadiums covered and whatnot. What is sort of the overall work for you guys as a crew? Yeah, so the site itself is uh, 42 acres. Um, we also own the golf course across the road, um, which um, we're looking to move into and start building more tennis courts. We're the only Grand Slam that don't have qualifying on site. Um, so we're looking to move across there in the next couple of years and start to look to build tennis courts there so we can have qualifying and make it a whole Wimbledon experience. Um, so we'll move from 42 acres to about 145. So it's going to be a huge jump for us. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's um, but for, for myself, I've probably got um, about 20, 25%, 25 acres of it, just because of the way the courts are spread out. Um, and as I say, I will maintain all the pathways in between that as well. So, you know, we've got the guys out on weed sprayers or weed scratchers, however it may be that we're doing it at the time. Um, 
So, yeah, we've 25 acres championship side and then the practice courts are a little bit more bunched up. Um, so we'll have uh, about 20 acres there. And then we've got the amenity lands, which is sort of your Hemman Hill and the Verges outside the club that we maintain as well. Now, with the members of the club playing on the courts so frequently, how do you deal with the compaction on the courts? And are you having to do a lot of resodding in areas? And what, do you guys do anything to rotate how much or to reduce and rotate how the, what tennis courts are being used in things? Yeah, of course. So uh, this year may be an exception, but in a normal year, um, championship courts open up for members to play on from mid-May. Uh, it's usually around the sort of 15th, 16th of May that we open up for members. Um, and they'll play then up until the week before the championships on the championship courts. So for us, it's just a case of um, which courts they play on and how often they play on them. Um, they don't get to play on centre and one. This year has been an exception that they've they've had those courts for a week this year. Um, but in a normal year, they don't get to play on those two. They'll play on everything else, which includes the other stadiums, so court two, court three. They'll still play on those pre-championships. Um, but as I said, that gives us 16 courts then that we're able to rotate um, as well as a practice court. So we'll open maybe six championship courts a day, six practice courts a day, and that gives them 12 courts. Um, and occasionally we'll open more if, if there's a call for it. Um, but what you'll find is... Uh, the members are fair, very respectful, to be fair, in the lead-up to the championships. Um, and they don't overbook. Um, and then afterwards, it's a free-for-all. You know, they're, they're playing again from the Tuesday after the championships, and they can play as often as they like then. Um, but no, we don't re-sod anything. Everything that we do is from seed. Um, so mid-season, if the baseline's won, the baseline's won. We don't worry about that in the season. I think that's one of the quirks of playing on a grass court is the player has to adapt to the court. We don't have, um, you know, full grass coverage continually throughout the season. Um, and then for compaction, we're, we're doing a heavy or a solid time spike in autumn in our renovation. Um, but as I said, we're a 21% clear. And what we found previously is if we get a hot summer, if we're doing any spiking outside of our um, renovation period, then the soil can almost form a memory. And as it dries, it will crack between where the spike holes would have been. Um, in the last couple of years, we've actually started using the Air 2G2, which has been, um, you know, probably one of my favorite bits of kit that we've ever bought. Um, it's a really cool machine, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's brilliant. Um, I actually had one of the guys out on it today to do a couple more of the courts, but the fact that we can use that now through winter um, and into early spring and still be able to aerate and get some air down into the profile of the court, um, and it doesn't seem to have affected... it. Well, it definitely doesn't affect the court surface. I mean, you can hardly even tell it's been over the court once once the job's done. It's yeah, As I say, it's... I can't wax lyrical enough about the machine. Um, I, I'm not selling them, but, <laughs> you know, it's it's definitely been a game changer for us. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, it's definitely been a game changer for us over the last few winters. And it just helps us, you know, remove a bit of surface water as well in the winter, which allows us to get on and do more jobs in the winter where clay soils tend to stay really wet once they're wet. Um, so, yeah, it's just been, been really good. Um, so you said Air2G2 has been a game changer for you. Do you ever mm. pull any cores? Are you mainly solid tine, uh, maybe baby net, bayonet tine? Um, and are you top dressing at all? Is there anything going on with that? Because again, with the 20, 25% clay, you probably don't want to mess with that. I'm, I'm just sort of curious what you guys do. Uh, yeah, so we don't pull any cores. Um, we, any spiking we do is all solid tine. Um, we, as I say, we tend to only do one really full-on solid time spike in the autumn. Um, we have started just trying to run the pro core through, um, which is another bit of kit that we've never really used in the past. And we're just trying to give that a trial this winter. Um, and then for top dressing, so during our renovation period, again, we'll depending on what sort of renovation we've done to the court, be that a full coro and strip the court off completely or a heavy scarification, depend on how much top dressing goes down. But you're looking between two and six tons of uh, clear loam going down. And then um, it's just an old school level loan drag. Um, you know, there's nothing too fancy about it. Sometimes the old ways are the best. Um, well, we do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, we'll just drag through then to remove any undulations that have come from either the plain season on the baselines panning or from the work that we've done. Um, because obviously we're running tractors on clear soil, you can get get a few undulations there. Um, so yeah, we're actually we're looking at replacing the soil like for like whenever we top dress. Um, and we're never using sandy soil or anything to help with drainage or anything like that. So um, you can imagine if we get into sort of an English autumn winter and we're trying to top dress with clay, it can be quite difficult at times, but we tend to get through most of the most years. So you host one of the largest tournaments of any sport, really, when you really look at it. Um, what is it? leading up to it so is there like a timeline like maybe three months out for half a year out three weeks what is it that you sort of adapt with your job with the championship courts because i'm assuming that's where most of the play occurs correct yep what what is it that you're changing from what you do out sort of outside the season to prepare for again Roger Federer, Nadal, all these players that are coming in to play on this court, that your courts. So what is it that you do to like prepare for? You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. So at the start of the year, you know, we're, we're coming back in January and um, our first aim then is to um, be spring ready. So we'll be, be looking to do our spring prep, which is um, usually a light scarify, an oversaw, um, those sorts of things. And our first aim of the year is always grass court opening for members. Those courts that open for members need to be almost championships ready on that day. 
maybe with a little space for a few tweaks, but you know, as close to championships ready for mid-May. Um, so we'll be at playing height from that time, and that won't change. Um, but from January through to May, then we'll start um, once the weather changes and we're starting to get soil temperatures of about six degrees, then we'll start to um, start over sowing more, filling in areas that haven't quite filled in over the winter, um, and then start reducing the height of cut. Um, we'll look at changing out from our winter turf hardening programs to uh, our as I say, our plant growth regulator, iron mix. So we'll sort of change that around April time. We don't do too many granular feeds. Um, so we'll do autumn feeds throughout the winter, maybe two, maybe three times at most. Um, and then we'll only do uh, one summer feed sort of mid April time, just to give everything a real good quick flush of growth. Um, and then we, we find we get better control with liquid feeds, liquid items uh, throughout the summer then. So then we'll, that's when we'll move to our, um, as I say, our plant growth regulator program. Uh, and then, yeah, it's just a case of maintaining courts. It's, you know, it's all about making sure the edges are trim, the pole sockets are trim, the sprinkler heads all look nice. Um, it's all about presentation for us. Um, you know, we have a high-end membership and we have, as you say, we have a high-end tournament. So the, the demands and the expectations are high-end and that's what we aim for. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's where we're at with that. Now, one of the most infamous things about the Wimbledon grounds crew is how y'all pull the tarps. So what goes into that? Like, how much is it practiced and, like, how did the, the idea of doing it so fast and so, so smooth come about? Yeah, I think the um, the whole thing of doing it fast, you know, as we've spoken about being a clear soil, uh, if you get too much rain water on there, I mean, we can we could have a shower or we could have heavy rain and it just come in really quickly. Um, so the, the key is to pull covers as quickly as possible. Um, for the Grounds team ourselves, we pull the cover on centre court, uh, but we get in roughly 200 students who come in and do the covers on all the outside courts for the tournament. Um, and they'll they'll come in and do, you know, they're probably doing about three weekends worth of training. Um, and it's all on a number system, which they all have to learn. Um, and it's about when they cover depending on the referee's call or when they cover, depending on too much rain, just cover, don't worry about the referee. Uh, it's about inflating covers and deflating covers. As for, as for speed, I think the quickest that we've ever pulled a cover on centre court is 18 seconds. Um, wow. So, um, and we, like, we tend to just do a couple of run-throughs the weekend before. Um, that's impressive. But yeah, there's a, a time in my career where uh, we couldn't get the tarp on the field. I was working for the New York Mets, and the kids have seen the video. It's still out there, <laughs> unfortunately. Sorry. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, we've we've had a couple of people who, 
you know, that sort of speed. We've had a couple of people slip and go under the cover. We've had a couple of people who've almost taken out players. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's all a, it's speed, but it's control as well. So, um. so you've you've been at Wimbledon for so long. Have you seen? How have you sort of seen things change with the championship? Sort of maybe even like demand on you from say, either TV or different aspects of the club that they are adding stuff to your job sort of whether it's say you're setting this up as well make sure that this area is clear for this vendor or how have you sort of seen that change in your job over the years yeah i mean um as i say 15 years at wimbledon the changes have been absolutely mental uh you know when i started we didn't have a roof on center court we didn't have a roof on court one uh, we didn't have court two as it is now or fourth stadium in court three. So the whole um, layout of the southern end of the courts changed uh, in 2008. Um, and there's, there's always changes going on. So new buildings popping up. We've got a new office building. Um, as I say, Court One has just had that three-year revamp with the roof going on. So there's always those changes. As for around the grounds for vendors, that's more to do with the facilities management team. Um, really, we concentrate on courts and courts around. So any pathways where members are going to be, where public are going to be, we'll tidy those. But for spaces for vendors, like I said, that's more for our uh, facilities management team. And then, um, you know, the only the only thing that change well doesn't really change year on year is the expectation that everything looks pristine. Um, and I don't know how, but every year the expectation is to be more pristine than the year before. Um, and fingers crossed, we're we're delivering on that. Um, and a lot of that actually comes down to the gardening team as well. I mean, you've mentioned the ivy crawling up the side of, or the Virginia creeper crawling up the side of um, Centre Court itself, but all the planting out there do as well um, to make the, the rest of the grounds look as nice as they do. Um, so there's a huge demand on that. Obviously, there's more fitting out and more plants to go on. The more buildings we put up, um, it's nicer to look at plants than it is to look at some buildings. Um, so, yeah, the, every year there's something different, um, but our aim is always the same. It's always to produce the best we can. It always looks immaculate from the television. Thank That's you. all I can say. <laughs> um, so with the roof added on to center court, um, how often are you using uh, artificial lighting? Uh, especially, I'm assuming it's a pretty large shade issue in the stadium uh if i uh, if i'm incorrect i apologize but i'm sure have you used artificial lighting a lot or no yeah so i think even uh one of the main things with with building the roof on both center and one uh, was a consideration for the court um so actually out of the out of the tournament the roof can all be stored at the northern end, which just allows for the sunlight to to um, come through as much as possible. But um, as you mentioned, 
artificial lights. That's actually what we're doing this week. We've been erecting our artificial lights this week. Um, so we're using those and we're also using turf breeze fans um, because in a stadium environment, it can kind of go a little bit stale. So just to create an extra breeze across the court. Um, but we'll use artificial lights through our winter period. So we don't use them during the playing season. Um, so they'll be up now from, um, preferably I would have had them up in October, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll be through October through to sort of April, early April. When the, when the clocks change again, um, we'll be looking to get them down. And yeah, we have uh, three rigs on the centre court and court one, which can do half a court at a time. Um, so we'll manually move those through the week. Uh, so if a Tuesday and a Friday program where we'll just move those from the north position to the south position. Um, and then also on some of the courts in between centre court and court one, we have a rig on each of those just to deal with the shared issues that come from being in between two large stadiums. Um, so, yeah, we're, when I started, we didn't have any. Um, and now I think we've got a fleet of 17 um, sort of large light units. And the ones that you're seeing sort of used tend to have the wheels um, on the sports surface for ourselves because we're using them in winter and again on the clear soil. Ours actually run um, on the concrete of the court side. So they span the whole width of the tennis court. So they're quite a big unit. Um, and we've got three even bigger units on the practice courts because those courts are in blocks rather than singular courts. Um, so yeah, they're, they're quite monsters. Um, there, I've there are seen still a couple of times in person. So they're, they are, they're amazing. They're, I mean, yeah. whoever decided, you know what, I'm going to make light. That's kind of, why didn't we think about this forever ago, you know? Yeah. Exactly. So, um, the other thing that I've always been interested in um during the tournament obviously you have these really high trafficked areas and you can tell i mean how the tournament's more than a week long correct am i wrong in saying that uh yeah no the tournament's um two weeks okay. 13 days so we don't play the middle sunday gotcha. um but then they they'll play from the wednesday before the tournament at practice as well practice and whatnot yeah. um so yeah we're uh, they get four, so 17 days of play on courts uh, gotcha. for the championships. So you you obviously said that you don't do much to deal with it in the moment, obviously, and there's no resetting or anything. How do you ensure the playability through all that? Is there anything you do specifically, or is it just from all the preparation you've done, it's sort of gotten to the point where it's going to play out the way it's going to play out because you've prepared it the way it is? Yeah, exactly. It's all down to the preparation. Uh you know, it's all about making sure that grass plants as healthy as possible going in. Um, I mean, you could pr produce an absolutely immaculate tennis court. If you've got two people running around for eight hours in one spot, you're, you're going to end up with kicked out grass. You're going to end up with uh, foot marks and scuff marks. And then if you times that by 17 days, uh, <laughs> That's, that's a hell of a lot of stress a on lot. that plant. 
more than a lot, um, you know, and, and they're the professionals, so they're definitely yeah, doing exactly. more than a normal tennis player, you know. But we will be taking data the whole time. Um, we have an independent company, um, the Sports Turf Research Institute, who actually come in as well and do independent data as well as ourselves collecting data just to make sure that everything is comparable year on year. Um, if not comparable, then hopefully better. Um, so, yeah, we're fairly data-driven for those those sort of 17 days as well. And you were speaking earlier to the fact that you, you, you're taking research and you're adapting and getting different cultivars of grass. Mm-hmm. Are, are those 17 days sort of like the most important data that you can take to sort of test and do those trials? And is there like an off-site that's owned by Wimbledon sort of testing these? Are you working with the uh, university or someone in the area? Uh, so, yeah, no, our testing is all done with the STRI uh, and they're based in Yorkshire and they have trial grounds there. Um, so they're, as I said, they're running a best grasses for tennis trial. Um, they're also running other trials for us, um, depending on the year, depends on what trials we're running. Um, but over the best grasses for tennis trials, they'll run sort of a mini championships. Um, and what they'll do is they'll have a wear machine and they'll be running it over the grasses uh, to see which ones perform best. Um, it's surprising that on such a small island we can have quite a quite a variable in um, in weather patterns. So down where we are, we're we're a lot drier than where they are, but still they manage to to produce really good data, um, really usable data that you know is obviously working for us. Um, so yeah, that's that's where we do all our trial work. Has there been any major technolo- technological advances that you've noticed that have really helped you in the club? Um, yeah, as I say, like when I started, we had no lighting rigs. Um, the addition of those throughout the winter has certainly helped with um, being able to grow grass better through winter. Um, just changes in um, in chemicals and in fertilizers have improved. You get more control now, especially with decent liquid fertilizers. You've got more control. Um, you know, I hark back to the A2G2 and the, the change that's made for us. Um, there are so many. I think that's one of the good things about this industry is uh, you know, as a kid, I was brought up and groundskeeper Willie from the Simpsons was pretty much the, the only groundskeeper you ever saw on TV. And I think people possibly have that perception, but there's so much more behind it, the science and everything that goes into everything we do. Um, you know, I'm getting guys to go spraying this week and I'm, I'm asking them to make sure they put things in in a certain way because our pH and our water is... Um, quite um it can sort of inhibit the the fungicides and things that we're using so it's to um acidify the water a little bit more so that we get the best use out of out the chemicals that we're putting down um so there's there's so much and it's it's non-stop you know as i said we're continually running best grasses for tennis trials i mean 
for a lot of people, grass is grass. Um, but for us, there's always a new cultivar coming out. There's always something different. Um, and it, that's just one of the wonderful things about the, the industry as a whole. It just never stands still. Um, and you can go to a trade show. You know, we usually go every year. Um, and there's always something you come away thinking, oh, yeah, how can we use that? That could be really good for us. Um, so I think it would be sort of remiss to pinpoint one thing because I think the industry as a whole just has so many advances going on that um, there's so many to dip your toe into and, and go ahead with. So you just mentioned going to an industry show. Uh, we obviously have the Sports Turf Mayors Association over here and Golf Course Superintendent Association of America. What is the, the association that you particularly as a groundsman are a part of and how has it sort of impacted you in your career? Um, whether it's, again, looking for employees, whether it was when you were coming out of college looking for a job, whatever it is, how has it impacted you as a, a groundsman? Yeah, so we have... Um recently changed the name to the um, Grounds Managers Association. For a long time, it was the Institute of Groundsmanship. Um, and, you know, as you say, finding, finding um, seasonals, we advertise in the magazine and online. Um, but they also do a lot of education, uh, so, which is really good. Um, as... Um, Wimbledon, we actually host a grass court seminar and we always get the GMA involved, um, which is really good. And the last one we actually held, I ended up sat at the table with a few people there um, and ended up actually being involved in the whole name change process, um, which was quite cool. That's and it's awesome. nice to be, That's awesome. yeah, it's nice to be, be involved in those sorts of things because I definitely feel, um, sort of the Institute of Groundsmen sounded a bit dated and that's certainly the feel that we were getting. Uh, I know the Brits can sound a bit pompous at times. <laughs> no. So, <laughs> so to all. change that and be a bit I more... I think it sounds cool, you know. <laughs> um, sounds try and a bit more inclusive, um, which is why we changed from groundsmen to uh, grounds managers. Um, yeah, and... They're, they're just really good. Um, as I say, they hold the industry um, trade show usually every November. Um, and then they have an awards dinner after that, which, you know, started off with a small number of awards. And now I think is in the mid twenties and they're recognizing everybody from volunteers in all different sports to professional sports. Um, so yeah, it's just really good. And it's a really good way for people to, keep up to date with the industry. Um, as I said, they produce the magazine, but obviously everything's online as well. So everything's to hand. Um, and actually, Neil, uh, my boss, is on the board there as well. So, um, yeah, we've got quite a good connection with the GMA. That's awesome. Um, sort of going hand in hand with that, uh, you were talking about seasonal workers. What exactly are you looking for when you're interviewing, uh, say, a, say, a high school student? Or I don't know if it's high school over there or not. <laughs> uh, uh, whether you're, what, who are, what are you looking for in a student to hire? 
I think the um, when we're hiring for seasonals, um, it's all done online, so you don't really get a feel for the person. But we're looking for a basic level of um, groundsman training. Um, so what we'd call a level two level of training over here. Um, we don't take anybody under 18 just due to overtime working laws and things like that. Um, because as you can imagine, our summers are quite overtime heavy with championships and everything like that. So we're just looking for people. A lot of it tends to be word of mouth. People who have worked here before tell a friend and they apply. Um, we get quite a lot of Australians um, who come over. We've had a few um, New Zealand-based greenkeepers who have come over and then changed tact into groundsmanship. Uh, I've had a sprinkling of Americans. I think I've had about six or seven Americans in my time. Um, and, you know, probably some of the best workers, not, not just because I'm on here, but actually some of the best workers that we've had. I was going to say, hopefully we did a good job. Hopefully. Yeah, no, definitely did. Um, so yeah, we, we get everybody from all over the place. Um, I think when it comes to hiring full-time is when you can see more of the person um, and you're looking for somebody, you know, who's got that drive, that ambition, that passion for the job, not somebody who's just looking to come and do a job. Um, somebody who's got the character to fit in with the rest of the team is huge. As I say, we're doing uh, quite a lot of overtime in the summer. We're doing sort of, you're probably spending more time at work than you are with your family. <laughs> And, and if you've got a group of 30 people. Of, yeah, yeah. yeah, it tends to happen with the championship, I'm sure. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, if you've got a group of 30 people, it's good if they can all sort of, you know, not everybody's going to see eye to eye every moment, but as long as for the majority of the time everybody's getting along, that's what we're looking for. Um, so, yeah, I mean, drive. Drive is huge. Somebody who's passionate about what they're doing. Um but I think surprisingly enough, hopefully somebody that's not a tennis fan. Uh, what we don't want is somebody who's getting too distracted during the tournament. Um, watching oh, there's tennis. that person. Oh, there's that person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that was one of the saving graces for me not going into football. I think that's what I would have been like a little bit. Um, what did you say, boss? What? But, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's it's great. So. Uh, that's, that's awesome. I mean... Uh... I know I'm passionate about what I do. I know these kids are passionate about our program. So that, that's great. Um, with, again, you're hiring the seasonal full-time. You're a real mentor when it comes to being a leader on the crew, especially with the championship courts. How do you see sort of your influence uh, on their careers and how, what type of leadership style do you think you use when you're operating, say, on a day-to-day with the individuals that you've brought on to your crew? Sure. So I think um, for myself, I think you've got to lead by example. Um, I don't ask the team to go out and do any job that I'm not willing to do myself. Um, you know, hopefully I've got a team, uh, especially the full-time guys, I've got a team that I can ask them to go and do a job and I can trust them to do it to a high standard. I don't have to be micromanaging. I think nobody benefits from micromanagement. Um, so we, 
we're just able to let the team go out, do what they want to, not what they want to do, but be able to do the work that they're doing. Um, but also feedback into me. It shouldn't be a one-way um, sort of shouldn't be one-way traffic. I'm more than open to listening to their ideas and um, any suggestions they have. And I think that just builds trust and respect amongst the team. So I think that's the way you've, the way to go. Um, you know, the more trust and respect you have, which comes from being there. It's not just being there when the prime jobs are there, the cutting and the marking out. It's being there when you're scratching weeds out of brickwork for five hours or so. Um, that just sounds you know. like fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's strangely enough, there is it's just the pleasure of accomplishment in actually doing that occasionally. Um, so, yeah, no, it's, it's all about, you know, I've been in their position and they want to be in my position and it's just showing them that that route is there. Um, if you apply yourself and, you know, sort of go in a good, good trajectory of putting yourself forward for, for jobs and things like that, that, you know, there's, there's no limit to the, what, what anybody can achieve. Thank you. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to shift back towards sort of cultural practices. I apologize. I'm sure. sorry. That's fine. Um, how often are you mowing on your ryegrass? And with that sort of going hand in hand, how often do you have to paint the courts? Because obviously that's a kind of a different aspect compared to other tennis courts um, around the world. So I'm just sort of curious in that sense, how often Sure. So for a championships, we're mowing and marking daily. Um, so it might not need it, but for aesthetics, um, we're mowing. It's taking away any grass that's been kicked out from the previous day's play, remarking any lines. Well, we we remark every line, but um, just marking out where the play's been. Um, and then out of the championships, we're probably mowing... In, in the height of summer every other day. Um, and then that'll slowly reduce as we go throughout the seasons. At the moment, we're still quite mild here, actually, at the moment. We're probably mowing once or twice a week, depending on how much rain we've had. Um, as I say, we're a little bit higher now. We're at 13. We're actually at 13 mil everywhere on our championship courts, practice courts at the moment. Um, so, yeah, we'll be mowing once or twice a week now. Um, but yeah, as I say, for the for the championships, we're we're daily. Um, and then, are you changing sort of, direction every day, every time, or are you still? So throughout throughout winter, um, I'll tend to do sort of four cuts with play, and then one across play. Uh, so what we found is, if you do too many cuts across play, you can get a bit of a nap. Um, yeah, exactly. A bit of a nap of the grass and that can pull in the playing season. Um, so we've reduced the amount of cross cuts we do. Um, but then for the tournament, we have what we call championship style mowing, which starts in the middle, works out. And that just, it means that we've always got, if you were to look at um, Wimbledon from an aerial viewpoint, you'd see that every court looks exactly the same um, in the way that they're mown. 
I think that I need to look for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing that I was sort of curious about again with the clay, uh, being a part of the soil profile, what kind of water moisture management are you dealing with? Are you hand watering at all? Uh, are you, sort of, we had a greenskeeper on, are you looking for a certain number with the moisture meter? Uh, or are you just sort of, you have the irrigation and what's on goes on and where you notice certain areas are drier, you're going to water that, or is there a number that you're looking for on each area of the court? Yeah. Uh, so a bit of both really, um, throughout the season, we, we irrigate mainly with sprinklers, um, occasionally around the edges of courts um, because they're all, the courts are all surrounded by concrete, which can get quite hot in the middle of summer. We'll do a bit of hand watering around the edges of courts. Um, but for the most part, it's all done on the overhead irrigation system. Um, and then, as I was saying, uh, with the STRI, they're coming in and taking moisture readings. So they'll take readings through the spring um, daily during the championships and it's all it's a case of just making sure as i say that the moisture is there to keep the plant alive i think we're looking sort of 20 percent moisture um but not having too much at that top surface um which all changes you know that changes year on year depending on the weather and the temperatures sort of 20 um, 19 we were able to put on more water because it was so hot we knew it would dry off in the morning sort of 2017 when it's raining every day you've just got to be a lot more careful um, so yeah it it can be a bit of a suck it and see at times but it's it's one of those things that comes with experience um, you know we've got guys on the team we've actually got one member of staff who's should have been his 50th tournament this year. Um, and then we've Congratulations. got... Congratulations. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we've got quite an experienced team. So, yeah, it just comes from years of knowing what what you can and can't get away with. That's that's incredible. With the 50 years, I... Whoa. <laughs> 25. Yeah, I so it's definitely eye-opening to me, you know. Yeah. Um, so, and you're, you're talking about experience right now. We sort of asked this question hmm. with all your experience and sort of seeing everything. What is it that you would want to tell yourself when you first started at Wimbledon? What would you want to know when you first started that, you know, now? Cool. That's a good question. Um, <clears throat> I think probably just always be proactive not always with work, but, you know, work doesn't have to stop at five o'clock. Um, as I say, you've got the GMA, you can go home, you can read articles, educate yourself and just be proactive. Um, you know, it's nice to do things like this now, especially in my role now, um, to be able to pass on knowledge, hopefully. <laughs> we, we appreciate it. You do this. <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure. Um, so, yeah, I think just soak up as much as you can. Always put yourself forward. Um, and something else as well is that no job is beneath you. Uh, you know, you might look at 
weed scratching is a really boring job, but presentation is key and it's all about having pride in your work. So no job should be beneath you at any time. So in your time spent in the industry, is has there ever been an experience that really stuck out to you as the greatest experience or your favorite experience? Um, strangely enough, I was asked this question the other day, actually, and then immediately I just turned to the Olympics. Um, so 2012, I hosted in the Olympics at Wimbledon, or the tennis part of the Olympics at Wimbledon, was an amazing um, experience. The fact that we'd spent sort of three years leading up to that trial in how we would um, renovate the baseline so that we had full grass coverage um, because there was only 20 days between the end of the championships and the start of the Olympics. Um, to be able to turn turn around a bare baseline and have Jeez. completely green baselines again was, um, as I say, it was three years of trials and experiments and hard work that eventually paid off. Um, and it was young grass that was there. It didn't last as long as, you know, a 12-month-old grass would. Um, but the fact that presentation-wise for day one of the Olympics – it looked phenomenal. Um, you know, um, there were the little perks that came with having the Olympics, getting to hold the Olympic torch and get a photo with that uh, alongside the canvas, things like that. Um, but yeah, just the amount of work that the team put in to, to turn the courts around from championships to Olympics in such a short space of time was amazing to be a part of. Um, and then obviously for for us over here, it was topped off with Andy Murray winning it and the atmosphere in that final was something special, especially because he just missed out on the championships that year and lost in the final. The fact that he came back sort of three weeks later and won the Olympics there was, yeah, it was incredible. I remember watching that. So that, yeah, it's, it was insane to see that transition. Yeah. Um, Sort of to, I keep going back. I apologize. <laughs> but uh, with the aesthetics, and you, you were talking about how if you look above, everything looks the same. How do you balance that with the safety and the playability of the, the court? Um, I, from what I've sort of just deduced, sort of what you do is to help with the safety of the players and with the playability um, because of the proper way you're mowing and making sure that everything sort of goes inside. Is there anything that you're, you're considering or are you just doing that because it's the safest way of taking care of the grass for the players? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's all about playability. Um, you know, it's why we water in the evening. We couldn't water in the morning because the courts would be too slippery for players. Um, it's why we cover so quickly to try and re reduce the um, possibility of, too much water, thus cutting out too much playing time. Um, the mowing pattern itself, I don't think, has a particular effect on the safety. Um, the fact that you know tennis trainers are changing so much, uh, grass court trainers have changed. The actual grip and things is so much better now than it than it used to be. Um, it's just how the court holds up to that. Um, but as I said, that, that grass court's going to deteriorate over 17 days of play. Um, and that's for the player to adapt rather than the court. Um, 
but yeah, for, for a player safety kind of thing, we have to make sure that the sword's as clean as possible. We can't be having weed grasses that are going to rip out. We can't be having too much moisture on court. Um, so it's just about having a really nice, clean, tight sword. Um, and then, as I say, just the, the daily management of the courts that, uh, you know, we do. I mean, I still, I'm still, it's unbelievable how you guys spent three years prepping for that, um, for that three week span. Is there any other events that you sort of worked with in that sense? Probably not as big as the Olympics, obviously, but, um, are there other events like maybe in the future that, you know, if you're not allowed to talk about it, it's fine, but like, uh, any events that you see in the future that you have to do something similar to that, where you're going to prep three years out, because I mean, I've heard like U.S. Open prepping six months out or like a year out, whatever, mm. but three years is incredible. So I'm just sort of curious, how do you guys make that decision on this is what we're doing? We're going to work on it until we get to this point and this is what we're doing. Yeah, I don't know if we'll have anything as big as the Olympics again. I mean, if we had the Olympics again in my lifetime, I'd be surprised um, just with the way that that goes around the world. Um, we have had Davis Cup matches in the past uh where we'll do thankfully we get a bit, little bit longer than 20 days to <laughs> to get those courts available again um but yeah there's who knows there's a possibility we could get those again in the future um i think we're we're kind of at that point now where you know the amount of effort and everything we put into to the olympic prep kind of stands us in good stead for for any sort of change around prep that we'll have to do again in future. Um, but as for future sort of events, um, you'll probably find out around the same time as we do. And then, then we'll <laughs> nice start working nice from them. that point. Nice of them to let you know, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so we do, we sort of was wrapping up and everything. We sort of do this thing with the kids. Uh, we sort of ask you, do you have any words of advice for kids at the age of uh, 15 to 18 that are looking to enter the industry, uh, especially in the sense of maybe trying to go abroad and working in England. Is there anything that you can, any words of wisdom that you can give them in a sense that would make them uh, better off? Yeah, I think I'd just go back to the thing that we were saying before, you know, no job is beneath you. Never, never sort of, complain about being asked to do a job every job that you're asked to do has importance um and and just soak up as much information as you can um you know listen to people you know like, like i say we've got a guy that's been here 50 years the amount of experience and information you can pull out of somebody like that do it um you know same for a guy who's only been on the team for three years He's still got three years of experience. Draw on that, um, and just, just if you if you want to do it, do it. Don't um and ah about things. Um, you know, if you want to come over to England, you want to come and do a season at Wimbledon. Apply, come and do it. You want to go, um, you know, anywhere. You want to go to a golf course. Just, just do it, and then just fully invest in it. Really. That's awesome, guys. Um, do we have any questions, guys, from the group?
Any questions? Nobody wants to ask for a job? Nobody wants to try and find their way over to England? No? Well, we want to say thank you so much for coming on. This has been fantastic. Um, I've, I've learned so much, me personally, uh, with years' experience. This has been incredible. What do you guys say? Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure.